According to the Associated Press, the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail, um, Omar Khadr, who now lives in an apartment in Edmonton, going to get $10 million, not the $20 million he sought in a li- his civil suit. Uh, the feds and Khadr's lawyers negotiated the deal last month, and we're finding out about it today. And of course, you know, the phone lines are going crazy on uh, Mike Stafford's show, hosted by Andrew Lawton, uh, when he brought this topic up. And, and people are looking at this story thinking, you know, in the overwhelming uh, response to it and reaction to the $10 million Uh, settlement for Omar is that, uh, you know, it's a great day to be a terrorist in Canada is is what people were saying. And I thought, how do I handle this? How do I talk about this in a a responsible way and and get to the bottom of exactly what's going on with regards to Omar uh, Cotter and this settlement of $10 million? I'm going to grab Mubin Sheikh, who is a CSIS and RCMP operative, and he always knows so much about this subject. Uh, Welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here, Mubin. No, no. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate you framing it in the in the context of a res, uh, a responsible uh, coverage of the story because there are things that that need to be clarified. Sure, you know, people shaking their heads today. They're trying to understand why Omar Khadr is getting a ten million dollar payout from taxpayers. I think we start off with what's the difference between Omar Khadr and a child soldier? Yeah, I mean, let me just say that uh, when I was uh, in the Toronto 18 case and testifying in court, Dennis Edney was the lawyer for Fahim Ahmed, one of the, the main ringleaders of the Toronto 18 case. And he actually, him and I talked about Omar Cutter between cross-examination. Uh, and he told me, he told me how he'll never forget the day that they brought him in chains, Omar Cutter, uh, you know, locked him into a ring that was bolted into the steel floor, still goggles on. And he said to him, Omar, he touched him, he said, you know, I gave him the human touch to say, Omar, we're going to bring you home, I promise you. And um, and so so that's my relationship with the lawyer anyway. I mean, the story, of course, is highly politicized because of the fact the American soldier was killed, you know, in the, in the sacred literature, I guess, if you will, of, of uh, you know, almost hero worship of soldiers and all that. It's difficult for the U.S. to admit possible friendly fire. I mean, this was you know, present in other high-profile cases like the Pat Tillman, you know, NFL star became a ranger, you know, and was killed in friendly fire, and they tried to cover it up as well. So, you know, those sorts of things happen in war. And the question is not about child soldiers. Child soldiers are, are ripped apart from their families, from armed militias who occupy their villages. This was a kid who was, look, he, had, he really had no choice. He was a kid, uh, one sibling among many others. It's not like he could have hopped into a cab in Pakistan and, and fled to the Canadian embassy. Those people knew exactly who he was. They would have brought him right back to his dad. So. And you're talking about, you're saying this from the perspective of moving, because we spoke a little bit earlier. He grew up in a family of extremists. So uh, this, this is, is something that was indoctrinated yeah. into his head, probably from, from birth. Yeah. This was the single most aggravating factor, I believe, in this case. You know, family members who just couldn't shut their mouths, you know what I mean, they kept railing against the Canadian system. And, the, and these are the optics that Canadians don't like. We don't like that the taxpayers should pay for mistakes that the government made. But I think, you know what, it is uh, alternatively, it is actually a testament to Canada, really, that look, when wrongs have been done, there are mechanisms of redress. Of course, nobody likes to hear, you know, 8 million or they ask for 20 million. You know, this is, this is you know, litigation these days, right? It's a, but at the end of the day, people don't want to see that kind of money. And, and ultimately, all we can say is that in order to avoid this situation again, let's just not engage in those kinds of behaviors as it is anyway. You mentioned he grew up in a family of extremists, or at least I did, and I brought it up. You know, he fought against the West in Afghanistan, or at least was accused of throwing the grenade. Uh, you know, he he had Maybe never been uh, charged. I don't think he had been uh, charged with that. Has he? 
in well, the past? I mean, the, the, the one thing that I want to just, uh, just some sources on Omar Khan and what kind of person he is. I remember he was in a box for a lot of years. Yeah. And, and when we saw in his interview that he spoke actually very intelligently. You know, he's, I believe he is under good uh, tutelage with Dennis Edney. I understand, you know, he's a lawyer, but, but I mean, he, you know, he showed himself. I mean, even after all that, he shows signs of improvement. So we should actually use that as, a, as something in our favor, as, you know, PR for Canada, if you will. Not, we're not soft on terrorists. Let's be very clear about this. I work very closely with the U.S., uh, you know, military and Canadian Special Forces, and we are not soft on terrorism. We pulled out our six jets because the coalition wasn't going to miss six jets. And we didn't want to use a Canadian bombing. Oh, look, Canadians are killing women and civilians in Iraq and Syria. We didn't want that. So we tripled the special forces, trained advisors, this mission to take the fight to ISIS where it belongs on the ground. And yet it is something to celebrate that a Canadian special forces soldier, you know, has the, the, the target, the distance of killing 3,450 meters. I mean, that is definitely something that Canada is doing. Are you still with me, Mogan? I just heard a little click in your phone, so I, I, was, I thought I lost you for a second. You know, I want to go back to this question because I think a lot of people have this question, you know, today when we're looking at the payout here of $10 million to Omar Khadr. So he grew up in this family of extremists. He fought against the West in Afghanistan, so uh, they say, you know, at least he was with his family, tortured in Guantanamo Bay. As an expert in radicalization, how likely is it that, you know, if he wasn't radicalized before, that he would be radicalized now? I think that's the question on really everybody's mind. When you look at the people who actually dealt with him at Guantanamo Bay, I mean, he had many, many people who spoke in his favor. I mean, military judges, lawyers, guards. Uh, so I am convinced of the people who are there who, who have spent time with him. Uh, when they say that this kid is, like, amazing, I believe them. People are suggesting, you know, if we pay him and we're wrong on this, it could be Canada paying, you know, Cotter $10 million that could actually go no, to... No. So, yeah, so I do want you to, the, I'm bringing these questions up because these are questions yeah. that I heard people asking, and so I want you to address them. Of course. They're, they're can, so can you just say, sorry, here's some cash, don't hate us? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's okay. I mean, these are questions that everyone, it's obvious to people when they see this, when they see a family that disrespected Canada and the rights that Canada affords with no obligations or loyalty to the country, of course, it, 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 of course it will make you angry, right? I mean, it's not right, but... We have to yield to the fact that, you know, we have a legal apparatus that, that permits for this, right? I mean, it holds government even accountable to the law, right? So on a legal point, but of course, the optics of it are terrible. The optics are terrible. He killed a soldier, you're rewarded for it. Look, there were already conditions on him. There was a big deal about him being able to visit his family, you know, we're a bunch of crazies, you know, and I think under the right monitoring and supervision, I'm confident that we can actually make this into a, a good story rather than a loss. And you are an expert on radicalization and de-radicalization, so it's interesting that you would say that. You think there's hope for Omar Khadr, that he, even though he grew up in this uh, family of extremists and has gone through all this horrific torture at Guantanamo Bay and treatment, that, you know, he can come out around the corner. What's a takeaway for, you know, from what Canada did to Omar Khadr? Well, it's not what Canada really did. It's what the U.S. did, okay? If, if but didn't we, say, weren't we, you know, frightened enough of, of the U.S. saying, hey, hand over that guy that we just went, okay, I guess so. He got caught up in that giant machinery post-9-11, okay, when these guys were being rendered uh, into different places in Europe, not just Guantanamo. We already heard and then saw the pictures from Abu Ghraib, Bagram. So this stuff was going on, right? I mean, war radicalizes, right? 
but but I think um, in terms of what Canadians, you know, I mean, we didn't do enough. Certainly under the Conservative government, they were very resistant. They didn't want to be seen as taking, you know, this, this enemy combatant, right? And they had no mercy on the fact that this kid, he really was a kid, man. He had no control over his life circumstance, you know, his... You know, his parents, you know, forced him into that life. There, there was no way for him to escape it in that sense. I just want to make the point on how do you know he's, you know, reformed or this and that. And mm-hmm. I've been very involved in this. And I can tell you that, look, this guy, the, he spoke so well after his incarceration. I mean, he would have, the amount of professional training required to do that would have been too great. He was kept in a box. And for him to come out and speak the way that he did, I mean, listen to the interview. He's very genuine. You can see it in his eyes. And, uh, I mean, it will continue to be a sore spot for, you know, especially in the context of, of terrorism and Islamic costume nowadays, Islamophobia. It's just going to increase. And, and now on the 4th of July, mm-hmm. right, there's a news story coming out. So it, it does remain uh, a thorn in our side as a Canadian identity, I think. Is there a takeaway that we leave with? Like one thing that you're, you're uh, you know, left with on this day that, you know, you think everyone should know about? Look, at the end of the day, there's there's a war. There's a war going on. I mean, I know that we get caught up in the semantics of it. What are the legal ramifications of it? For all intents and purposes, you know, these things are happening. Bombings, you know, in Manchester, London, here and there, you know, during the fasting month, you know, making life now retaliation attacks on Muslims. This is the cycle we're going to find ourselves in. So this is just another blip. (laughs) I can be cynical enough. Yeah, uh, another blip. That's definitely going to get the phone lines ringing. I really appreciate you joining us, Mubin. Thank you. It's always great to hear things from your perspective. Thank you so much. Happy Canada 150th.